All right, we're preaching today out of 1 Kings chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And as you're turning in your Bible there, everyone should have a Bible. And if you don't, it'll be on the screen. But it's just something about having a Bible, isn't it? We're going to preach out of, we're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Before I, before I go on, I want to, to, to welcome a very special young lady, and that is Miss Olivia, Kevin and Tori's little grandbaby and, and Mama Donna, Grandma Grandma Donna. She's a proud grandmama. Amen. And so we just uh, welcome Miss Olivia. You know, you never know what the Lord is going to do with the child. These children are out here right now, and they're learning about Jesus. In a day when our little boys and girls, there's an assault to try to brainwash them. But out here, they're learning about Jesus. They're learning about the, the word of God. I want you to pray. You need to have your kids in church every service. Every, I'm telling you, every service. You know, we get about four hours a month. Think about how many hours that you or the, or the secular world has them. So we need to cherish those moments. Here's this verse of scripture. Pray that you'll give me your ear today. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Now here's what he said. Here's what the prophet said. As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall, be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Now I'm going to preach a message this morning. It's very biographical, and I've just titled this message, Elijah the Prophet. Everyone say that with me, Elijah the prophet. And we've already prayed for the blessing upon his word. So we look at, we look at Elijah. We're going to look at this man, this prophet named Elijah. We're going to look at the day in which he lived, which is very, very much like our day. Our day may be a little worse, though. I think Elijah is a man worth studying. God gives men like this for us to study. In my opinion, Elijah is one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth. I would call men like Elijah a rare breed. Elijah is a rare breed of spiritual man. He's rarer than a diamond in the kind of man he is. He's a prophet. He's a man of unwavering conviction, which is frowned on in our modern day. Everything is honored except conviction. He was a man of prayer. We're not so much going to get on prayer, but we'll mention it that he was a man of tremendous prayer. In fact, in the New Testament, it mentions the effectiveness of Elijah as a man 
a prayer. We know that Elijah was a man of tremendous spiritual power. Now think about it. Before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, here's a man in the Old Testament that walked in tremendous spiritual power. Now we know that because in the New Testament, when when John the Baptist in his ministry, he had an Elijah-type ministry. And when it mentions Elijah and it mentions how John the Baptist will come like Elijah, here's what it says in Luke one seventeen: And he will go forth before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The power of God on this man was incredible. Now, you don't elect prophets. If prophets are not elected by men. They're not elected by some boat. Prophets are called by God and they're sent by God. Really in mysterious ways. Many times you really can't figure it out. You, 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 they're just kind of mysterious spiritual men. And Elijah was such a man. We look today at the man. We look today at the marks, the, the, the characteristics of the world in which he lives in. We briefly look at his message and his ministry. We want to look at the miracles and at least mention these miracles. Each one probably a sermon in itself. But this will be a broad swath of biographical type preaching today. Elijah was a man who walked with God in a day of darkness Walked very closely, very intimate with God. He's a man who worshiped God. He's a man who worked for God. He warred and fought for God. And then one day, something incredible happened. A whirlwind came and caught him up to heaven, and he never died. They never did a funeral for this man. He's still alive today in the very presence of God. Elijah, the prophet. So what was his day like? What was it like to be a prophet in the day in which Elijah lived? What was it like moving in prophetic ministry? What was it like? Let's look at the marks of Elijah's day. Let's look at the, the characteristics, the, the, the characteristics morally and socially in Elijah's day in which he lived. What do we know about him? The truth is, not a lot. Not a lot. We know that he prophesied and was called to be a prophet to Israel. Now, when we say Israel, you think of the whole country, but I'm referring to Israel after it was divided under Rehoboam. And the northern kingdom centered in Samaria was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. He prophesied to northern Israel. He was called to the northern kingdom called Israel after the division of the nation. It was during a very tumultuous time, mostly during the reign and the leadership of King Ahab. We'll talk about him. What we know is Elijah started his ministry, his prophetic ministry, from all we understand, about 875 years before Christ came to planet Earth, 875 B.C. His prophetic ministry spanned pretty much two kings, probably the end of Omri 
Ahab's father, King Amri, and then King Ahab, and then toward the latter part of Elijah's ministry, he prophesied during King Ahaziah. All bad kings, by the way. We find Elijah's story tucked in from 1 Kings chapter 17 to 2 Kings chapter 2. I read it twice yesterday. Just meditating on this incredible life and this incredible story of this man. What we know is Elijah was called by God at a very critical time in the life of Israel. I mean, you know, that's when prophets begin to step up. I predict that we're going to start hearing more prophets in America. How I many you believe that we're in a very critical time in our nation? And I predict some, some of the greatest prophets America will ever know will begin to prop up. Some of them will be young prophets, young men that hadn't gone with the culture, young men that are going to be fearless, young men that hadn't drunk the Kool-Aid in a sense, young men and women that say, we're not going with the flow, we're going to go against the flow. But Elijah was called during a very critical spiritual hour in the life of Israel. One person called prophets, prophets God's minute men. In those crucial moments, God calls those men out of obscurity. And he says, I have a work for you to do. And normally, it's a hard work. You got a lot of people today that say, it's prophet this and prophet that. And about 95% of them are not prophets at all. You want to be a prophet? Read what the prophets have to go through. Most would send in their resignations. What about the northern kingdom in which... Elijah was born into, we think, where he prophesied. What was it like in 875 B.C.? It may surprise you that economically and politically, at this time, the northern kingdom was probably at its strongest economically and politically that it, than it had been since the time of the divided kingdom. King Amri did something. I mean, you know, for every action, there's a reaction. What you sow is what you reap. And you, there's, there's important decisions in our own lives. There, therefore, we need to make wise decisions because they can have long-term consequences. During this time of economic strength, during this time of political strength, the nation is on the rise in the natural. The nation is... The, uh, the northern kingdom, that is, is strong economically. Things look good on the outside. But it's not the outside we need to be mo most concerned with. It's not the outside in our own lives that we need to be so concerned with. It's the heart. It's not the outside that we need to so be so worried about in our own nation. It's the heart. What's going on in the heart of the nation? And King Amri... Ahab's father, who reigned from 885 to 874, he initiated a trade policy with, and, and a friendly relations with the Phoenicians. To show good faith, he did something that have, would have an, a lasting effect on the nation. 
That is, he gave his son Ahab in a, in a political marriage. He gave his son Ahab in marriage to a woman. Guess what her name is? Come on, shout her name. Jezebel. That name goes down in infamy. Jezebel. Ahab was given in marriage to Jezebel in a political marriage. The scripture teaches that she's the daughter of Ethbel, king of Tyre. And never ever did a marriage do so much harm. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Jezebel. We know that Jezebel, we have the privilege of looking back. We have the privilege of a completed Bible. What we know about Jezebel is she was a wicked, king, wicked queen. Because not only did she bring all her material goods surely with her, but she brought something that was devastating to the nation of Israel. It was devastating spiritually and morally to the nation of Israel. And that is this. She brought along with her Baal worship. Baal worship. And, and Baal, Baal worship took root very, very quickly. And it spread very, very rapidly to where it threatened Israel's very spiritual existence. Jezebel is mentioned in the New Testament. She is mentioned by name. She's mentioned as someone who corrupted a church with false doctrine. Now, of course, we know that it wasn't the same Jezebel that Ahab married. It wasn't the same Jezebel that the prophet Elijah had to confront. But it was a Jezebel-type woman who was corrupting a church through false doctrine. Here's what it says in Revelation 2. Nevertheless, in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. This is what's happening in Israel, northern kingdom. Baal worship. What is Baal worship? B-A-A-L. Baal worship was the most powerful and the most important God of the Canaanites. It was the God, he was the God of harvest, and he was the God of fertility. How would you worship Baal? Do you know what you worship, you become like? The, the word of God talks about that. We become like the idols we worship. You ever watch someone, a young person, start taking on the characteristics of what they're listening to and who they're around? Well, that's what happened in Israel. How would you worship Baal? Baal was worshipped sometimes with gross immorality. They would engage in sexual immorality as a way to worship Baal, thinking that this would motivate Baal to fertilize the land and fertilize the crops and bring in the harvest. 
When, when Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal, they began to cut themselves and the blood began to flow because they believed that the blood flow would excite Baal and Baal would help them and work on their behalf. It was a wicked God and really a demon behind it, motivating it. So historically, God drops Elijah, the prophet, It's at about the 38th year of the reign of Asa over Judah. That's what's happening in the south. And Ahab, the son of Amri, began to reign over Israel, it says. And it says he reigned 22 years. And those were 22 dark spiritual years. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. The scripture teaches that that Ahab outdid in evil. He outdid all the kings that were before him because he allowed Jezebel to bring Baal worship in to Israel where they should be worshiping the one true God, Jehovah. And not only did he bring Baal worship in, but he added Baal worship to the calf worship that God was already upset with that they were doing, that Jeroboam had introduced before. In Samaria, Ahab allowed there to be built a house for Baal and an altar for Baal. And this is the day. And this is the characteristics of the society in which Elijah was called into. It was an out-of-season moment. The Bible says, preach in season and preach out of season. Be ready in season and be ready out of season. Everyone loves to preach when there's revival. Everyone loves to preach when there's a spirit of revival. But very few would want to be called in to a dark kingdom like that to confront the powers of the day and try to bring them back to God. But that's the characteristic of the northern kingdom when Elijah steps on the scene. Let's look at this man, Elijah. As I've already said, Elijah, in my opinion, is a rare breed of man. He's a rare person. But one of the greatest men to ever walk on the face of the earth. Now I believe that's God's opinion. That wouldn't be the world's opinion. It wouldn't be Ahab's opinion. It wouldn't be Amri's opinion. It wouldn't be Isaiah's opinion. It wouldn't be certain Jezebel's opinion. But even like John the Baptist said, he was great in the sight of the Lord. In my opinion, men like this, the world is not worthy of men like this. Elijah's mentioned some 69 times in the Word of God. One scholar said it this way. John Whitcomb said this. Like a meteor suddenly flashing across a darkened sky, Elijah appears on the the scene without historical background and without warning. Just, and he's there. It's like Elijah just walks out of the wilderness and begins to thunder. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. 
Elijah was sent to turn the northern kingdom back to God with his prophetic message and with the miracles that God would do through his ministry. Here's here's what it says. We have so little. It's really odd. Here's what it says. Chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. That's pretty much it. His name goes down and defies time. But as far as his person, we know very little about this man. We have no genealogy. You look in the scripture and you see all the genealogies here and the genealogies there. But prophets are not like that. They just, they're God's minute men. They're God's emergency men. They just step on the scene. They call by God and they're sent by God. The Bible says he's a Tishbite. It is believed that that's a town on the east side of Jordan. In the area of Gilead. You know what Gilead means? It means to be rough. It's where rough prophets come from. Not the little weak ones. Rough. We need some rugged men and women again in the, in the work of God. Come on. We need some rugged people. Rough. It means to be rough. This was the territory when Israel initially began to inherit the promised land. You remember Reubenites and the Gadites? They said, give us this area. It was on the east side of Jordan. That's believed that that's the area that Elijah came from. Joseph, in his antiquities, he describes Elijah. Here's what he says, and I quote, his haunts were far from the cities, and his distinctive garb was a mantle, perhaps woven by hair, and a rawhide rope tied around his waist. When he prophesied, when, when, and I'll come to this later in a moment, uh, when Ahaziah sent his servants, you'll find this in the second, second Kings chapter one, he sent his servants, go inquire of Baal if I'm going to live. He'd had an accident. Go inquire of the prophets of Baal if I'm going to live. And God spoke to Elijah and said, uh, is there not a God in Israel that the king has to go inquire of Baal? And said, go tell him that he's going to die and not live. And Elijah intercepts the messengers going to, to the prophets of Baal. He said, go tell the king, thus says the Lord, you'll die. You're going to get a disease. You're going to die and not live. They go back to the king. He says, how'd you get, how'd you get back so quickly? He said, a prophet came and said, you're going to die. And the king said this. What did he look like? He was a hairy man. He had a leather. He said, that's Elijah. Rough guy. When he described him, they knew he wasn't the skinny jean type. Come on. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? He described this prophet and he said in, let me just read that verse because it's really, it's really hilarious when you think about it. Chapter one, verse eight, it says, so he answered, who, what does he look like? He said, he's a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Mm. We don't know what Elijah looked like. We don't know how old he was, but it is conjectured that he was probably getting on in years in chapter 17 when he says to Ahab, there shall be no rain except at my word. He was probably an older man at the time, maybe. Elijah, shout Elijah. Shout it, say Elijah. The name Elijah means Jehovah is my God. Jehovah is my God. Elijah, Jehovah is my God. You may serve Baal. You may serve Asher. Jehovah is my God. Can I proclaim to the world? Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Lord. Come on, shout it. Jesus is my Lord. Shout it again. Jesus is my Lord. I want the world to know there's only one God. It's God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's only one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. At the name of Jesus Christ, there is salvation in another. Elijah, in a day of pluralism, pluralistic worship, he said, Jehovah is my God. Here is a man completely committed to the Lord. Here's a man that's not a Sunday only guy or every other Sunday or once a month guy. Here's a, here's a man that shines as a bright example of a wholehearted commitment to the Lord God. In a day of immorality, in a day of idolatry, he walked alone. He was a man who walked alone. He was a prophet who walked alone. His theme his theme song of his ministry could have been in the lyric of, I have decided to follow Jesus. And the line says, though none go with me, I will follow. Come on, though none go with me, still I will follow. That could have been the theme of his ministry. If, I, if anyone wants to go with me, let's go, join me. But if I have to go alone, I will. Why? Jehovah is my God. Paul said the same thing in a different way. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Jehovah is my God. What about his lifestyle? He was a simple man. He didn't wear Armani suits. He was a simple man. He was a man of deep self-control. Simple in his dress. Simple in his diet. He was a righteous man. There is such a thing as righteousness. We have a government now that's trying to tell us what is right and what is wrong. 
When in the history of the world has some empty-headed politician tried to tell us what morality is? This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. This is the law of God. Elijah was a righteous man. What does it say? He, did, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. You hear that over and over again. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. When he confronts Ahab, he says to him, you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Elijah was a truly godly man. I know you watch these people that flip out every now and then and everything is, no, nothing's hidden anymore. Somebody living some double standard, they're going to get caught. It's just the way it is. But I can tell you this. There are truly righteous people in this world today. There are truly pe there are people that are truly love God. They're ministers that love God. They're ministers that that they what they are in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. And there are people on the pew that truly love God. Amen. Elijah was like one of those. He was truly a righteous man. He was a rugged man. Seems to be always out in the wilderness somewhere, by some brook somewhere. He was rugged. He was more akin to an Amos than a sophisticated Isaiah. Of course, you know Amos was the sheep herder. He would, have been, he would have been well at home with Amos, probably a little out of place with the sophisticated Isaiah. Really, as you look at Elijah, Elijah is a riddle. Elijah is an enigma. We know little or nothing about his life. He just suddenly appears on the scene uh, in, in, in chapter 17, verse 1. We know little or nothing until he just shows up on the national scene and begins the thunder. This is what God has said to you. We can only assume that being raised kind of out on the frontier, as he grew up, he developed a toughness. He developed a ruggedness that served him very well during his prophetic ministry. The Lord knows how to call people. He knows who to call. He knows what personality needs to be here and needs to be there. The thing that I really think about, one of the overarching, very loud qualities of this man's life is that he was a man of courage. He was a man that was fearless he was, he, he was not fearful of men. He had a fearlessness. It seems to me as I read the story, and I encourage you to read it, it's better than a movie that you would see on TV. This man has a courage from God. His driving passion is to please God. He stood alone against the idolatry of his day. He stood alone on Mount Carmel. We stood there on Mount Carmel. It's actually very beautiful. When I first went there and went to Carmel, I had something else in mind. It was one of the most beautiful places in Israel. And as I stood there, I realized that many years before, some 2,800 years ago, almost 2,900 years ago, a man of God stood there all alone against 450 prophets of Baal and said, the God who answers by fire, let him be God. 
And he stood there all alone. We may be coming into days in our own nation when you may have to stand alone. It may get really lonely to be a Christian in America. But I'll tell you, Jehovah is my God. The Lord will stand with his people. Let's look quickly at his message in his ministry. Elijah had a speaking ministry more than a writing ministry. In other words, he wasn't one of the canonical prophets. You say, what does that mean? That means a canonical prophet is a prophet who wrote a book. We have 66 uh, chapters of Isaiah. He wrote a book. Jeremiah wrote a book. Ezekiel wrote a book. Habakkuk wrote a little book. Malachi wrote a four chapters, three chapters, four chapters. I'll get it. David was a king, but he was also a prophet. He gave us most of the Psalms, not all of them. Some are attributed to Moses, some to Hezekiah, some to, to the sons of Asaph. But these are canonical prophets. These are writing prophets. Elijah was more of a speaking prophet. Yet he did get four verses in. Just four verses he got in. We'll read them in just a moment. Second Chronicles 21. What was his message like? His message was a message of repentance and judgment. Because Elijah was confronting the sin of Israel. And he was calling them back to the Lord. Elijah knew what we all should know, that the wages of sin is death. And sin was destroying the nation of Israel some 2,900 years ago. He confronted the idolatry of his day. See, because Israel didn't totally get rid of worship of Jehovah. But they added Baal worship with it, which is unthinkable, unacceptable, and intolerable to a holy God. Idolatry is hateful to our God. He confronted the personal wickedness of Ahab. As, as Ahab stands at Naboth's vineyard, which he has connived to get through Jezebel. He has had him murdered by false accusation. And he stands there with his spoils. And, he, and Elijah shows up. The Lord says, go tell, Elijah, go tell Ahab this. You're going to die. <laughs> now, now, think about this. Elijah was a man of God's words. Listen. The prophet is one who spoke God's message. They spoke God's direct message. Now, pr prophecy today, there is still prophecy today, but it's a little different. Corinthians says prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. Can it be predictive at times, but normally it's edification, exhortation, and, com and comfort. In this day, it had a strongly predictive element to it. Now, I've seen people say, man, I just need a word from the Lord. You got a word from the Lord for me. Well, let me just tell you this. You don't want Elijah to show up with a word for you. <laughs> hey, somebody got a word. I need a word. Come on, has the Lord spoke something? 
Let me, let me read a few words to the, of this man, Elijah. One of his prophecies was simply that it would not rain for three and a half years except at my word. James, the brother of our Lord, validates this when he wrote his book in the fifth chapter of James. He said that he prayed that it didn't rain. It didn't rain for three years and six months. We had a drought a few years ago, several years ago now. And it wasn't that long. But I'll tell you, these lakes started drying up. I saw parts of Ray Hubbard I'd never seen before. Can you imagine what our country would look like if we had not a drop of rain for three and a half years? But Elijah prophesied. Now, a lot of these guys prophesying about, they write about half the time. You don't, don't even worry about those guys. A guy like Elijah, worry about him. Listen, look at, listen in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 21, beginning in verse 19. 1 Kings 21, verse 19. Let's back it up to 17. 1 Kings 21, 17. Here's a prophecy Elijah gave. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise and go and meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. You have, have, have you murdered and taken possession? And you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Some people don't like that, didn't like that sermon. Ahab said to Elijah, verse 20, See, the Lord told him what to say. We can only say what God says. Come on. We, only, we need to say what? Look at me. We need to say what God says. Are you hearing me? Preach the word. Preach the word. You know what we need? We need the word of God more than our, our children need the word of God. Desperately need the word of God. And so Elijah gets the word. And then in verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, my enemy? He answered, yep, found you. <laughs> yep, right here, bud. You and I are live in different worlds. We have a different moral compass. We have a different view on the world. We have a different view of God. Yep, here I am. I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will, I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. You know, the Bible pronounces a woe. You know, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has a woe, which is one of the strongest terms of the Bible, of those who lead others into sin. 
We have leaders in this nation who are leading our nation into sin. I say to them, woe unto you. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. Ahab had a son. Back to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. This is the story I told you. Now, Ahaziah, this is Ahab's son. He fell through the lattice. Well, what's he doing up on a lattice? Not a very smart guy. He fell through the lattice of the upper room in Samaria and was injured. And he sent messengers and he said to them, go and inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, whether I shall recover. And this is when the angel of the Lord said, Elijah, is there not a God in Israel? Go intercept them and, and tell, tell them that you, he's going to die. And it comes down and uh, we read. He said, what kind of man was this? He said, verse 8, he was a hairy man. And the king sent, and then the king sends three companies of soldiers. Elijah's just sitting up on a hill. And these company of 50 soldiers, 50 men, said, prophet of God, come down. Man of God, come down. The king wants to see you. He said, if I am a man of God, let fire come down. And fire came down and consumed them all. I guess somebody's watching on because they went back. And Elijah says, send another 50. And he said, another 50. Elijah just sitting on the hill. Next group, the captain says, man of God, come down. The king wants to see you. He said, if I am a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Consumed him. Third guy, he's smarter. Third guy, smart guy. He, uh, he said, he said, please, verse 13, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants be precious in your sight. Elijah said, okay, I'll let off now. These are prophecies. You're going to die, king. Now notice this, verse 17 of this chapter. And Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which, I, which Elijah spoke. Hmm. Died according to the word which Elijah spoke. Look at Second Chronicles 21. Now, he wasn't a canonical prophet. Second Chronicles 21, verse 12. We'll be done in just a minute. Second Chronicles 21, verse 12. Now, Elijah wasn't primarily a, 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 a canonical prophet, but he got four verses in. Here it is. Here's the words. Here's the verses. And a letter came from him to him from Elijah the prophet saying... Thus says the Lord God of your father, David, because you have not walked in the ways, you don't want to get a, you don't want a letter from this guy. 
because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father. And now he's prophesying to the southern kingdom. I mean, he's, he scorched the guys up north. Now he says, hey, you guys down south in Judah going wrong. Here's what the Lord says. You've not walked in the ways of Asa, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlot of the house of Ahab. And have killed your brothers and those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people with serious affliction, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you will become very sick with the disease of your intestines until your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. Look at verse 18. And all that the Lord, and after all this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. And it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of the sick of this of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. Mm. Elijah was a man who simply spoke the message that the Lord gave him. He didn't temper it with, with some kind of human whatever. He just said, this is what the Lord says to you. The prophets like Elijah were the Lord's mouthpieces. They spoke for the Lord. And really, Elijah's message was a message of commitment and surrender. As he stood on Carmel, he said to those Israelites, why do you halt between two opinions? Why do you vacillate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. You can't serve two Masters, Elijah the prophet. Think of what the Lord did to this man. The miracles of God. He stopped the rain for three and a half years through his prayers. He was fed by ravens supernaturally. He multiplied the widow's food all in, in, in meal. He restored her son to life when he had died. He called down fire from heaven. He restored the rain through prayer. He called fire down on soldiers. He divided the Jordan with his cloak, and he was caught up to heaven. What an amazing man. A rare spiritual jewel. What do we learn from Elijah? Four lessons as we stand. Would you come and play, please? Here's our four lessons. The, the phrase, the God of Elijah, the God of Elijah. Here's what I see in this story. Four things. Number one, God hides his people. When the Lord spoke to Elijah, he said, go to the brook Cherif and, and, and hide there. And the Lord hid him there for three and a half years. Obadiah, which was one of Ahab's helpers, said, Ahab has been looking for you. Not just in this country. He's been looking at other countries. But the Lord hid Elijah. How many know the Lord can protect us? The Lord can hide us in the cleft of the rock. He can hide us in the time of trouble. No matter how dark it gets, God can hide us. He can protect us. God not only hides his people, he provides for his people. He said, I'm going to feed you there. 
I'm going to feed you. Three times God, it's recorded that God supernaturally supplied Elijah. God supplied him. Ravens brought the meat. The widow's been of oil, flour and oil, miraculously supplied all the way through the, heart, the, the, the drought and the famine. And the angel brought him a meal when he was in the cave or under the juniper tree. God provides. God also guides. He was divinely guided. Over and again, it says through his life, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. How many know God can guide us at Trinity Life? And then lastly, God strengthens his people. Elijah became very discouraged. And God sent an angel to encourage him. Told him to rest. Twice he told him to rest. Fed him twice. You need strength. And he got a meal that strengthened him so much that he went 40 days on it. That's not a normal meal. Mine don't last that long. I mean, I eat, and like an hour later, I want to go get a Twinkie. <laughs> Mine don't, I mean, you're, come on, let's just be honest here. But he went 40 days on that meal because it was supernatural. God will sustain us. Come on, I want you to lift your hands and just, and just say, Jehovah's my God. Jehovah's my God. Jesus is my God. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen our church in this hour. Strengthen us with mercy and grace and love. Lord, help us to be what you want us to be. Help us to cherish your word. Help us to only speak your word. Help us to be godly and holy and righteous. Help us to be a light in a darkened world. Lord, our day is not very different than Elijah's day. A day of idolatry, a day of immorality, a day of compromise. Oh God, I pray that you help us to say, Jehovah Jesus is our God. Lord, to do what you want us to do, to say what you want us to say, to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do. Oh, in the face of darkness, to proclaim the light, that Jesus is the light and the hope. We don't have to serve the bells. We, don't have, we, we can call people out of the darkness, Lord. You call sinners to yourself. You want to save them from the darkness. And change them and grant them eternal life. Lord, in a dark day, I pray that this church will remain bright. I pray this church will remain bright. Lord, in a dark day, that we won't go with the bells. That we won't go with the faults. But Lord, that we will serve the Lord only. No matter what it costs. Lord, we know there's laws being purported that will make it illegal to believe the word of God. It'll make it a crime to, be, to believe certain principles, but let it be, so be it. This world is not our home. We will obey God rather than men. We will obey God. We will obey our Lord. Father, I pray for strength and courage, but I pray that it would be mixed with great love courage and conviction mixed with great compassion mixed with great love and compassion for those that are broken and lost so we proclaim the hope of Jesus today and I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice everyone watching on the internet that in the name of our Lord Jesus that we would speak for Jesus that we would proclaim to those that are in the darkness that Jesus is the light he wants to forgive you he wants to wash you. He wants to change you. He wants to make you his child. Hallelujah.
I want you to lift your hands again. Lift your hands. Let's pray. I pray against fear. I pray against any spirit of fear today. In the name of Jesus, I pray against the spirit of fear. Lord, let us have a fearless heart. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Make us a courageous church to say only what our God tells us to say, to go only where our God tells us to go, to do only what our God tells us to do, to be led by the Spirit of the Lord. Lord, I pray this church would be powerful. And we praise your name. Now, just worship the Lord for another moment as I get ready to dismiss. Just worship him. Just honor the Lord. Just love him. Praise him. We worship you, Jesus. We glorify your great name. We honor your precious and holy name. How wonderful and great you are, Lord. You're my Savior. Jehovah is my God. Jehovah is my God. No other God. I don't want any other God because there is no other God. And I worship Jesus alone. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, you know what I want you to do? I want you to leave this place with a courageous heart, with a courageous spirit. Leave this heart full of God's joy and God's victory that he has a purpose for us in the world. Right here on this property. I need all of you on board. I need all of you to help. I need all of you that are watching online to be here next week. And I want you to go from this place with great courage. You're a child of God. Father, I pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon us all. And we ask this in that most wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. God bless you today.